Hi, this is Derek Hart, the founder and chairman of CSA and your host on the CSA podcast show. I love wearing this hat because one of the things that it accomplishes is I get to meet a lot of people and even people like my guest today who I know, I get to know more about them when I'm preparing for the show and when I interview them. So it's a real luxury for me to just get to know people on fundamentally on a more personal basis and the things about their story and share parts of their story and get them to share parts of their story with you, uh, our listeners, that you might find valuable. As you know, this is our security leader series and we're interviewing security leaders across the industry, across geographies, and hopefully more internationally as we go, just seeing all the different ways that people end up becoming uh, leaders of some kind in our industry. And it's, of course, there's lots of different paths. And so if you're uh, at the entry level of our industry, you're looking at, where do I go next? This may give you some ideas from these uh, from these interviews of, of things you could choose to do and things you could, decisions you could make early in your career uh, based on listening to what some of these folks did early in their career. So I'm really excited again to have my guest today, Fred Gordy, the Director of Cybersecurity from Intelligent Buildings. He is in Atlanta, Georgia. He's an author. He is a musician, a woodworker, a technologist. He is a, a travel enthusiast. He's a grandfather. He's definitely an evangelist, and he is an evangelist around cybersecurity for building control systems, building management systems. He's known for it. He's written a lot on it. I'm really excited to have Fred Gordy on the show today. Welcome, Fred. Thank you, Derek. This is my pleasure, and I always enjoy sitting down with you and just chatting. It's great. I do want to start this off with uh, just a little little background is this man right here i gotta attribute to getting me really going in the industry derek has done a lot for me and i appreciate that derek well thank you that was that was very nice of you i didn't mention it in my opening but i gotta touch on we discovered in our pre-interview discussion that we both have backgrounds and having business in the paintball industry of all things that was really shocker to me because you and I've known each other, what, about six or seven years, and I had yeah. no idea. Yeah. Uh, you had no idea about me. Yeah. Yeah, I did that for a while. Uh, it was uh, one of those things. It was a divergent in my career. Uh, I was working for a supplier for General Motors, and through some various events, let's just put it that way, ended up actually being the president of ProLine Manufacturing in Greenville, South Carolina. So that was that was fun part. Yeah, I think same era, right? It was a, it was a hot craze, the '80s. I must have gotten involved in the mid to late '80s, and I think you said you were in the late '80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I remember it was the hottest thing. I I brought it to my hometown, and uh, you know, nobody you know nobody had done it before, and uh, but it, it just started taking off. I think it was I think in California, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, where that was, kind of, that was kind of the heartland. Popped up, yeah. <laughs> good times, good memories, but uh, yeah, we got that common DNA. So. You know, let's talk a little bit. You know, the, if you've listened to the show before, you know that our goal is to, again, to, to pull out some of these nuggets, as I like to call them, aha thoughts or uh, experiences that my guests have had. And those can be, you know, can be valuable to anybody really in the space. Fred, let's go back a ways. Let's go all the way back, really. I'm always curious where technology, technology and engineering both, you know, where, where those, in, you know, kind of intersect with somebody's life. Some people it's way, very much late. And some people like, oh, when I was 10 years old, here's what happened. You know, where is that? Where's that first crop in for you? It's funny because when I went to college, I uh, went into uh, electronic engineering technology. And that was the place that I first had my taste of a computer. Okay. And it was back in the day of basic, you know, not, not basic, but basic programming. So, you know, I remember when I drew a circle 
on the screen. It was like, whoa, this is so cool. So even though I was in electronic engineering technology, which is supposed to be, you know, the direction there was to get into board level kind of stuff. I got more fascinated with the computer part. So that's kind of been, that was my introduction to technology. And yes, you know, I am a little bit older. So that was in the mid eighties, you know, and so uh, computers have come a long way, but also the industry that we're in now, that I'm in now has definitely changed tremendously. And I got to say, when I was going to college, interesting, you know how things kind of come around is I had an opportunity to kind of intern at this company and this particular company was doing control systems. And so I got a little bit of taste of that and they were doing pneumatic controls. And this was so foreign to me because again, you know, I'm working electronics and I met this guy named TJ who was a programmer and he showed me some stuff, but then I got away from it. You know, years and years went by and that was pre paintball by the way, years and years went by and I didn't, didn't have anything to do with it. And I really didn't understand what controls were back then. And I, I moved more into computers after that. Yeah, that's interesting. And like you said, things come come full circle, don't they? Then, and that's not uh, you're not the only person that had an exposure to kind of one element. You know, mm -hmm. expertise in this area is a fusion, right? We call them unicorns or whatever. People who understand the control related systems domain, you know, either all of it or a particular space of it, but also IT and cybersecurity. It's hard to find. But but oftentimes those people have had these exposures to different pieces uh, academically and professionally along along the way. And it sounds like you're not different in that. You've had some different some different exposures to to end up where you where you are today. And we'll we'll trace that that journey a little bit. So uh, what do you do first? So you you're pursuing electronic engineering. What do you get out and do first? Well, the first thing that I did was I actually went uh, to this company that was a supplier for General Motors. And we were, the department that I was working in was responsible for the test equipment that, you know, people don't really realize how a car harness is built. There's a this huge board that people plug wires into, at least back in the day, they plug wires into, and there was a thing called a SPRO, which is a single point ring out machine. And it was just basically contact closures and looking for shorts. So as these car harnesses plugging in, they're being tested as it goes around the line. Well, my job in the department I worked in was to keep those PLCs and things in the background working. So we would repair them, literally unsolder chips and put chips in, that kind of thing. So that's that's kind of my almost double exposure from a computer sense. But then also, too, I began to get into the seeing again things that were controlled. But that wasn't the way I was headed. I didn't even I wasn't even planning that. You know what I mean? And then from there, I got into working with the company where we were building computers. And then I began to do some networking, learning that and uh, had a little bit of dabble in Novell, but mostly uh, around the Windows platform. So that's how I kind of progressed through and got more into the computer. And, you know, you say, talk about the unicorn, and I'm not saying anybody's got to go the, down the exact same journey I did. However, because I had that computer background and then I moved into the controls world, I speak both languages and that mm -hmm. really helps, you know? Yeah, that theme has come up before, which is, and, and I've seen this, you know, in all the kind of research oriented stuff I've done for years, is like if you learn if, if each group will learn some language because there are groups right there are these fiefdoms or groups or communities with even same companies 
if we learn some language, there's no time in history that if two groups didn't, if they didn't share any common language, they didn't have some conflict. But if we learn some language and we have empathy for each other, and you're like, oh, you have some expertise that I don't have, and I have some expertise you don't have, you know, that's how the bridges are built, right? I mean, that's how we're going to make any progress here. Exactly. And, you know, because of what you do here, I would like to point out, and I'm not trying to make a prediction here, but I just really strongly feel like there is an emerging role or emerging career which is that career that basically has a foot on both sides. You know, that person that can go in and be able to, do they need to understand the deep knowledge of IT? No. Do they need to necessarily understand what a mechanical system does? Yes, but they don't have to understand how HVAC works or that kind of thing. But they got to know, like, you know, like I tell the guys that work with me, is you have to know how to program and kill a system in order to be effective in what we do. So, yeah, I mean, right there, you're, you you more or less implied it. You, you need to know the choices you may make, what effect they might have, right? I mean, that's exactly. the problem is I potentially people coming into a space with knowledge that didn't 100% apply or could produce danger or downtime or risks over on, uh, on the operational technology side, right? And so if you at least, if, if you have, uh, like you said, I don't know what percentage you, if you have some understanding of both sides, you, even the proposing of doing things, you one, you mm -hmm. might not propose some things to begin with. And when you do propose it, you have context, right? Right, and if I can give an example of that, is yeah. um, one of the things that I run into in my day-to-day -day job is I deal a lot with the full range of IT, understanding. So in other words, I may be working with a commercial real estate group that doesn't really have an IT person. So I have that level of understanding. I kind of have to help them through it. And then I go work with major financial institutions that have a very robust IT program. Problem is they want to inject their policies and procedures and they talk about, well, we need to patch everything once a week. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. no, you have a system, and I, and if I can point this out very quickly, uh, NIST 8228 released last year says you cannot manage or maintain OT systems with IT processes and policies. For example, working with a particular customer, IT rolled out some patches, and it was a medical group, let's just say that. And at 50 locations, they had to to postpone hospital uh, surgeries for two days because of an wow. Ajaba update. And when I tell these guys, I say, look, let me take you through. And I've got a four quadrant thing that I show them, you know, yes, you understand this. And yes, you understand this. But this layer down here, if you do something here, you could potentially totally wreck communication on, on over hundreds of devices. And now yeah. you have to repair that damage where if you take the time of pat patching a control system may take days. In some cases, depending on the criticality, they may have to come back in and recommission the system, but it could be five, six days to get the whole system, make sure that it's back functioning. So that's not something that IT generally understands. Makes sense to me. Uh, it may not be self-evident to everybody yet, but I, I, I those stories are, uh, it, it's interesting though. I mean, I used to say those stories abound, but, the story you shared about surgeries, you know, meaningful number of procedures being like, you know, that's that's where we're headed, right? I mean, that exactly. sounded that sounded bad but fairly benign. There are worse scenarios 
and we're connecting more and more things. And so, you know, I, I love your company name, Intelligent Buildings. You know, what building isn't going to be intelligent in the future? There's a lot of dumb buildings today. Hey, they were built when they were built, right? But there's no new building that's going to be anything other than intelligent, is there? You know, like I say, we, we work in the commercial real estate industry quite a bit. And by the way, to give you a context there, there ain't just the United States, which we work in the U.S., Canada, and done some work in Australia. But just in the U.S., there are 87 billion square feet of commercial real estate. And every one of those is trying, even the legacy systems, they're trying to make them more smart, if you will. But yes, there's no system or no building that's being built that I know of where they're not incorporating intelligent design. Uh, so let's keep going on your uh, on your kind of your career path. So electronics, computer, IT, um, robotics, I think are in there. Where does, uh, you know, where do buildings intersect? Okay, so funny story is I was reaching, I'm a very hyperactive kind of person. Okay, so if things get too mundane, I get bored, right? So I was doing IT and not knocking it. It was great. It was great to me and for me, but I put my resume out there. So in 2000, this company found my resume and called me in for a uh, interview. And they started explaining this thing. You know how I talked about we come back around because in college I went to this control industry and they had pneumatics and all this stuff. Well, that was some 15 years before. So I go to this company and they start explaining about these uh, supervisory controllers and field controllers and they do this and they do that and everything. When they got finished, I said, I'm, I'm, I did something you shouldn't do in an interview. I said, are you sure you got the right guy? And the, the gentleman who now works with me on my team, uh, he looked at me and he said, we exactly got the right guy because these devices are being connected to the network and we need somebody that understands that side because we don't. And I was like, okay. So they threw, <laughs> they threw me into the fire and said, oh, and by the way, your first job is working with Macy's all over the US. And I, I had to learn programming the Tritium platform is R2. I had to learn that from scratch within a matter of months. And so anyway, I got to tell you, the thing that really just fired me up was the first time that I programmed a boiler and I, with a mouse click, and I'm talking about a big guy, this thing, I don't remember how many BTUs, but I clicked my mouse and it sounded like a jet engine taking off. There's no other feeling like that to know that you have the power and the capability and the knowledge to make one of these huge pieces of equipment, not only work by itself, but work in concert with hundreds of other devices. Again, not knocking IT, but I couldn't get that from IT. So I was hooked. So that's how, how my entry into the industry was. Man, I, I gotta tell you, you, you conjured up this whole memory for me. The, 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 I have, I have you know, very different career path than yours, but I have fired up a boiler. And these were on Navy ship. My first ship when I served was a 1972 build, but there was no IT network firing up that boiler. <laughs> there were valves <laughs> and uh, and knobs, uh, but no no IT infrastructure getting that boiler going. Kind of tightens you up a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was an interesting workspace. I, I wasn't primarily assigned to the engineering workspaces, but I did do a tour through there and and training in there uh, to understand that part of the ship. And it was uh, it was fascinating, and it, it's funny. Mm -hmm. I, I realize now some things I learned there because I don't have the engineering background that you and, and many of my colleagues in the space have.
but that was one of those little exposures, you know, spending the time down there working all those systems and and learning, tracing all their elements and all the things I had to do. Like that, that it's interesting. I never really thought about it until today, but that that stuff gave me at least, uh, you know, I don't want to oversubscribe, but, you know, a bit of a basis for some of the things that you guys talk about in, you know, in great, in great detail sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, the thing about it is all of those little experiences that, well, some of them bigger than others, but those experiences, everything that I feel, that I've done in my life, I feel in some form or fashion has actually built on itself. And and if you don't reach back to those experiences and say, you know, hey, this is this is something that I could use here or, or that kind of thing, you know, I think you're missing an opportunity. Yeah, well, I think this is, let's, let's touch on that. You know, we, we've, we've progressed through a, a big chunk of your career as if we did it, you know, in, in, a, in a couple sentences. And those were many years of doing different things. You know, so if you were to go back and give your your younger self some advice and this can be things that you're glad you did uh, or things that you wish you you wish you had done that you didn't do um you know what would you go back and tell the young fred fred gordy and, and you know you have the context of where the market's going and what the future opportunities are but you know what would you say across the table to young fred you know i think i would say that um i probably should have been on the front end a little more observant of technology you know you that sounds kind of contradictory based on where i came from but I, I had a tendency to just drive forward. You know what I mean? Is is things came, I was always reaching out and grabbing this, that, and the other. But in a silo, like in the thing you were working on, are you talking about instead of having a kind of staying in tune with the broad development? Kind of well, let's see, how can I put this? Let's take, for instance, the programming aspect of it. Okay. When I was in college and I got a exposure to basic, right? that, you know, gave me a little taste and and everything. And then as I kind of moved forward, I got into computers. But foundationally, I should have paid a little more attention to the programming for me. Okay. Because then, you know, I mean, I know when you're working IT, there's scripting and that kind of thing. But then when I came back and uh, or, or got the opportunity to get into the building control space, I had to rediscipline myself because I wasn't used to the way the what what these guys were doing so it was a it was quite a bit of struggle i'll tell you i came home and told my wife several times they're gonna fire me i don't know what i'm doing but even though they were relying on my it side i still had to deliver the program you know yeah. what i mean yeah. and and i found that i was really in i mean when i saw what i could do like i said with the boiler and that kind of thing when i saw what i could do with it i was like you know this is powerful and so that would be the one thing I might would have focused on a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I've heard guests on the show talk about if there was one ubiquitous thing to learn more about be networking and that this idea of the, the future networks are going to be those kind of networks and these kind of networks, they'll be networks. And that if you were going to study, if you're entry level, truly entry level, and then where do I start? That fundamentally understanding, you know, modern networking was going to be key is this all this mm -hmm. stuff gets kind of blended together and that gets applied to different things and you can learn about those. But the networking itself and networking technology, uh, the stack, so to speak, would be would be applicable to, to almost all these things. It does. And it, and I would say, I mean, I know there's there's new ways of doing things now, but at the core, networking has kind of remained the same. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it gets enhanced or or again some some addressing. It goes from IP, you know, IPv, you know, uh, yeah. it, it gets added, uh, you know, so that it can address more devices. But it's fundamentally it is the same. Yeah. Um, you know, I suppose there's some 
engineers out there that are deep in that. They're like, no, no, we've made great progress. So I'm not taking away from their accomplishments. No, but, no, no. Yeah, I generally agree with you on that. Um, uh, any challenges, uh, you know, along the way as you move into this into this space about buildings and securing their, you know, their infrastructure? Any challenges, and how did you how have you overcome those? So, the other day, I had a conversation with somebody. When, when, you know, you and I've had this conversation before and I've tried to put these benchmarks where this industry is so far as building control, cybersecurity, is I used a metric before that I've figured out is not, I should have been doing it another way. So if you stop and think of it, of IT cybersecurity, and if you kind of look at a timeline, we are about 30 years behind IT, okay? from a stamp on, on all levels, right? Our control system, because the building control world has worked almost in a vacuum, built in a vacuum. There's been no conversation outside of there to IT. And, you know, in IT, quite frankly, they've had their hands full. So they were like, yeah, okay, you got it. We're gonna stay over here and do this. So I say all that to say this, the biggest challenge right now not to minimize taking care of the hardware, the software and hardening and all of that. You have a culture that is totally, I mean, it's, it's you know, everybody uses the term crawl, walk, run. Well, we have a culture that's just getting up on its knees. So if you come in the door, I sit, uh, I've got a lot of colleagues and people that I've learned and I consider mentors that have, have taught me a lot of things. And I, I've, at first was trying to learn all I not try. I still do. But I mean, I was I thought the direction to go was to throw uh, SP 853 on on control systems. Well, there's 19 control families and there's 1600 and something sub families and all this. I knew in the back of my mind that was going to choke the industry. OK, I'm not saying that we shouldn't get to that point, but we've got to change culturally the vendors and the, the facility management guys. It's a culture. It's like if you stop and think of OSHA, you and I are old enough to not remember back in the day when I got out of high school, I went to work offshore in Mississippi. That's big, what you did over the problems. Big safety problems. I think I know where you're going. Yeah. So I remember being told, hey, get in this basket and we're going to pick you up and put you on this oil rig but we have to swing you in to where there's this opening. So me and four other guys got on this basket and they picked us up and the gantry went out like this and swung and dropped us in there. Okay, well, had I said, I'm afraid to do that, then the guys that I was working with would call me a panty, right? You know, I mean, it was, yeah, you, you, you know, what, why are you scared? None of us are scared. Fast forward, the last company that I worked with where I was actively in the mechanical engineering space, if you did something stupid, your fellow employee is going to turn you in. Why? Because there was a culture shift within the safety industry. And to me, the cyber industry for building control systems is the same thing in that respect, is we have to culturally change. Otherwise, all this stuff that you're trying to shove down everybody's throat. Remember, these guys are fixers. What do they do? They fix equipment. They fix this. They work around. So if you just overload them with everything, they're going to go, mm-hmm, we got, and then as soon as you leave, they're going to, we're going to do it the way we, we've always done it. Yeah. So well, they got to buy in. This is some of those those nuggets that we're looking for in these sessions. You, 
um, I like the word breadcrumb trail, but it's like you, do you eat a whole meal or do you do you do a you know a trail? You, you're saying break it in, break it into doable bite-sized chunks. Don't try to accomplish everything over you know overnight. I think that makes sense. That's a good analogy for uh, you know frankly all of our listeners who some of them may be not entry level, but just thinking about how do I tackle you know X? We'll break it into smaller pieces and tackle those pieces. Because you're right. Once you say hey we got to do all of this, you lose it's a lot scary. of folks. And then this concept of culture. You know, it's all about human beings, right? All, everything we're talking about here. It, it, the technologists uh, can, you know, are prone to be talking all about the technology, but in the end of the day, it is moving the needle on human beings, right? Security mm -hmm. culture. Uh, I like the analogy to the safety culture that eventually was successful, uh, but also um, just getting people to talk and to communicate. You know, obviously, CSA sprung up in the midst of that. It's kind of probably exists because that need for people to get together better than we have been. Is is so mm -hmm. present in our in our marketplace. To put a plug in for CSA, I mean, I I gotta say, my first exposure to it, it was like this is what I've been talking about. You have to get the both sides of the aisles talking, and yeah. going to some of the meetups and things like that, it was really interesting. The the vast difference of people that were in the room, and then the having that environment of no fear. Please ask your questions and. Do, and nobody else makes somebody feel dumb because they ask a, que a question, you know, because that's how we learn, ask questions. Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk on, on you know, talk about the human part of this. Let's talk about mentorship, receiving or giving, and how, what role that's had in your path. Okay. <clears throat> so from a receiving standpoint, again, I have to give you kudos because you're one of the first, I'm not saying that, I mean, you, we've known each other long enough, I'll tell you exactly how I feel. But seriously, when I remember when I started down this jury, journey, I had no idea what I was doing. And one of the first persons that I ever heard was, I'm gonna butcher his name, Bo Rotoloni from Georgia Tech. I went to this thing and he said, this is a problem for which there is no solution. And from there, talked to some of the guys at Georgia Tech and they pointed me to you. And so I remember going and talking to you and whether you know it or not, you actually lit a fire in me huh. to get, I'm, I mean, it just was exciting. I was like, this is, this is a, not just an opportunity from a financial standpoint because money motivates me second. I have to love what I do, right? The other person was uh, my boss at the time at uh, this company, Leroy Walden, he basically told me one time, he said, when, when you have somebody who's on fire, pour gasoline on them. And he used to do that to me all the time. So when I said, hey, Leroy, I want to start learning this, he's like, go. Because a lot of bosses won't tell you that because that wasn't a profitable idea at the time. You know what I mean? So that for me, now, from a standpoint of me mentoring others, I mean, I'm fortunate in the fact that but my role at the company that I work for is I deal with a lot of facility groups throughout the United States, Canada, and some other overseas places. But at this point in time, that's the only vehicle for mentorship. And, and some people want to have it or listen to it. And some people don't. But I will say I'm really surprised that whether it be my approach or whatever it is, these people really want to learn what can I do better. But you have to approach them correctly. You know what I mean? So, yeah, actually, you know, and I, I have had some recent interaction uh, with one of your one of your uh, customers, and it's certainly clear that you are a source of new knowledge for some of these folks. And, you know, that's 
you know, that's obviously a great, great position to be in and one, uh, one that can be certainly a good business idea, but, but also, you know, valuable for the, you know, for the industry to be able to bring people up. And you and I've talked about building the building control systems area has, you know, a lot of move, a lot of room to grow uh, as far yeah. as cybersecurity goes. It's a, you know, I, I don't know if you call it Greenfield. I mean, there's, there's certainly a lot of things still yet, yet to do. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a pretty big Greenfield. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to put words in your mouth, but I thought that's, that's what you would, you would say. Um, yes, absolutely. Progress is being made. That's great. But compared to all the number of buildings that are out there and what we need to do, um, a lot of, a lot of work ahead. Exactly. And, and, and I will say this too, there's, there's a void. There's another void. You know, we have the facility and the IT guys that there's a void there, right? Well, I also see these theological thinkers. I don't know what you would call them, but it's, it's the people that are saying, well, here's the answer to our problem. And if we just do blah, 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 then everything's going to be fine. Well, that's a false sense of security. And, and I'm trying to avoid pointing anything, any one particular group out. I'm just very cautious of, of, of saying anything there, but I just do think that more focus could be done on the vendors who are installing these systems and the facility people who are responsible for the systems instead of, you know, people sitting around a board table, a boardroom saying this is what ought to be done and then nothing being communicated down. It just it shows. Huh? Have any opinions on any standards that people should maybe be having to uh, use? What do you mean? Get any opinions on standards? Do you think? I, I, oh yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I was teasing you because I know that you're very passionate about standards. I am, it's, and the uh, the thing is, is I don't know if exactly this is where you were going, but I I, I want to say this is to go back to my roots, if you will. When I first started trying to digest NIST and and all of these standards that are out there, the one thing I was remiss in doing was remembering my roots. And what I mean by that is I was looking at all of these standards and I was saying, you know, this is what we need to do. But I didn't take into the account the 20 years of my experience that I have in the building control space. And if you don't do that and you don't marry the two and put them in in the right context and in the right form and roll it out in such a fashion, it's milk to meat, you know? So I just feel like that there's a standards, there's a standards that need to be developed that are specific around the building control space for now that would uh, answer those things. Yeah, I, I think, you know, they, it popped in my head to ask you about the standards because we we're talking about all the different kinds of vendors out there all doing different things. And mm-hmm. the truth is that they are doing different things, right? From standard due care or best due care that they can identify to nothing, right? Well, I'll give you a, a really prime example is the company that I work for. There were several programmers within the organization, a lot of them. And I can remember we used to try to tell people, tell the project managers and stuff when they would say, oh, well, go over there and so-and-so is not going to be able to work on that job. Go over there and just pick it up. And we were like, you've got to be kidding. Because even amongst the programmers at the same company, I could, excuse me, I could walk in behind somebody and it'd take me a day to figure out what it was they were doing because they didn't follow any standards. There were no, there were no guidelines other than, hey, we would get a sequence of operation and that was it. Go do it. 
if you take cybersecurity off the table for a moment, in the building control space, there needs to be standards within companies so there's repeatability and then also serviceability. Because it, once a system's up and running, if you pull somebody else in to go take care of that system or there's a failure, they may have to spend hours upon hours just unraveling what it is the other programmer did. Yeah. Well, you know, again, thinking in terms of some of our listeners looking for, you know, advice, how do we get, you know, they, they, gotta, they have to fit into this matrix. How do we get people to work or how are you getting people to work better together? From, from very different areas of, you know, of the building. I mean, in buildings, you've got people running the buildings, you've got people installing the stuff, you've got people who make the equipment, you've got people who know, want the output, they want the results of whatever the systems are, but they have no idea how they actually work. I mean, how, how are you getting, a, and you got, I bet the budget process on new builds, like, you know, and retrofitting, those are two different, totally different circumstances. How are you getting everybody to work together? What, what are the success factors? And then if you could think of something, you'd say, you know, if I was entering the space or entering this space, you know, this is some stuff I'd learn to be, to be, I mean, not to put words in your mouth, is there an opportunity for someone who becomes very good at facilitating all those people from all those different stakeholders' perspectives? Exactly. And I mean, kind of alluded to it before, is let's take how I do it, is the way that I do it, is the first thing is, is I got to discover who's involved in the conversation. Because you that's another thing you never know going into. I, you know, somebody hands me a statement of work and they say, well, you got to do this, this and that. And the first thing I do is to get on the phone and I say, OK, who are the stakeholders? Who are, who are we going to be dealing with? Identify. And so identify it. Exactly. I mean, just like yeah. in this, uh, the five tenants, the first one is identify. Same thing here. So you identify who it is that you're working with. And then you just in conversation, figure out what they know, because, you know, you may be dealing with um, somebody who is a CISO that he's more of a managerial person. OK, and that's great. But then you, you say, I need to get to the people that are going to be the ones that are going to be enabling and enacting and doing that kind of thing. So once you've identified those, then on the same thing on the facility, I can't tell you, Derek, the number of times I, I've been, it's like pulling teeth, is we have these meetings with the IT side and they, I say, okay, well, who are your facility stakeholders? Well, we'll get to that later. No, I need to know who that is now because what we don't want to do is dump all this on their lap without their, their knowledge and buy-in. So anyway, I push and I push. I got to stop you. That's one of the big probably nuggets. Bring them in, identify, step one, bring them, make them part of the process, not we all do a process and oh, by the way, after the fact, we're going to dump this process on you. That's, that's resistance. That doesn't work. That breeds resistance. That breeds negative feelings. Bring them in. So step one, identify. Step two, get them, bring them in early. Th those things right there for anybody who's listening to this show, that's, that's a that's real walk away value, right? Yeah, you need you need to slam the brakes until that happens. Because I mean, you know, being what I do for a living, I'm lucky and lucky in that that's what you pay me to do is to walk in the door and I'll slam the brakes if I have to. But but let's not let's not do that. Let's just get the spirit of cooperation. Identify the people who are going to be the the policymakers and the provisioners and the, the implementers 
and get them in the get them to begin to co- have a conversation around what are their needs. Like, you know, IT says, well, you know, we need everything as you know, encrypted. Well, some of these devices don't have that capability. And the facility guy needs to explain, not just say, well, we can't do that. Or the integrator says, well, you can't do that. He needs to explain why. And then you say, okay, well, let's create some compensating controls around it. We'll work with the vendors. The vendors know how to make sure that things still function and IT knows how to put the bubble around it. You know what I mean? So absolutely, without a shadow of doubt, you gotta get that before you go anywhere. But it's always been a difficult thing of, of getting the facility facility side pulled in. But I I have to do it. Yeah, yeah. And I in my mind though, I'm picturing this in other parts of our industry, not just buildings, whole companies with very very different silos. Get all the stakeholders there. There is so much animosity, and and nobody likes to be the leftover, right? The late, late to the game. Like you want me to do what? Why wasn't I part of this? And there's loss of money and time is money too. There's loss of resources over not uh, over adding people too late to the conversation. I, I remember another person on the show was talking about you know how budgets you know are formed and if they can get involved early enough on on something being built out, then security can be put in cost effectively. But if you're very 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 late to the game, there's even people who hold manufacturers or whatever that say no, you can't add that component to this. This has all been approved two years ago. Like, oh, exactly. Man, it's you know, it, it, it creates chaos. Whereas if everybody was there architecturally at the beginning, it, and that may be an ideal dream state, but it makes logical sense. Well, the good news is, at least from new construction, we're seeing an emergence of that. Now, the example you just gave, I have a company that is pretty large and you know their name. And when they pulled us in, it was like, wait a minute you're almost about to give hand the keys over to this building and you want us to come in and cyber commission it. Yeah. You do realize that when we, cause we know the industry, we know how the integrators, they didn't do things that you're, you're expecting. So when we find all this, you're ready to pay, write a check to have them go redo all this. Well, we need to know where it stands. And I said, okay, as long as you realize you're going to get a report that says this is where it stands and you need to work on a one to three to five year program to get it up to standards. The inverse of that is there's a big project being developed in middle America that uh, is almost as big as this other one. They called us in at the beginning. So my team and I are actually helping them with their RFPs and how, how to create uh, standards and control profiles that will tell the vendor this is how you do it. And when it's over with, that control profile is actually a commissioning document. You've handed it to the vendor and you said, this is how we do it. This is how we, you, you need to do it. And then when it's over, my team and I will come in, pick up the control profiles and start looking. Wait a minute. They didn't do this, that and the other. Yeah. Well, now you have a way to say you got to fix this and you're not charging us. Yeah. Yeah, well, that also sounds like a, a a little bell went off in my head uh, of, of saying to anybody in any part of the industry, if you can get to the require, be, be part of the requirements phase, you know, mm-hmm. that that's that's going to be best for everybody down the road. Uh, you know, that may take buy in at a certain level of management to make sure that's the case. But it, it seems like that's best practice is be as early as you have cybersecurity, be part of the discussion as early as possible. In, in, any of these, in any of these processes or designs. Because you're either going to pay for it 
Well, I will tell you this. I can tell you from firsthand experience and using those two examples that I just gave you. Yeah. The amount of money this one saved by bringing us in on the beginning versus this one. And this one here is a five year cost. Because yeah. I mean, they can't just redo it all at once. So yes. it's an ongoing cost. Whereas when this one's finished, it's done. Yeah. They have to maintain it. But that makes sense. And there's Greenfield properties versus retrofitting old stuff. And there's lots and lots of uh, of old stuff to be brought up to uh, brought up to speed. Um, what what's what are you excited about? You know, if you look forward, you know, this is another I think sometimes a moment for people. Um, you know, there's not maybe not in your area, although maybe you'll say, no, you're wrong. Even in my area, this applies. There's people who've said, you know what, if you want to be 10 years from now, a hot commodity, start learning about AI and machine learning amongst this other stuff that we're talking about. But learn about those because they're going to have those are going to be, you know, really important applications to the future. So is there are there areas like those that you say, look, get smart about this now, start reading on it, because if you're progressing in your knowledge and your work and you have expertise in this in this emerging area, X years from now, you're going to be you're going to be super valuable. So, yeah, absolutely. And here's the thing for people who are in the controls industry, I honestly believe they'll have an easier path in this regard is because, you know, as well as I do, how complex how complex these mechanical systems can be, the interdependencies between things. And now with the advent of a thing called an MSI, which is a master system integrator, what they do is they will take the HVAC system, the lighting system, the scheduling for the conference rooms and all of this, and they'll marry those all together under one unified front end. OK, well, talk about complexity, because in other words, if I swipe my card to come in the building, my lights turn on in my office and it says, yes, I'm here today and I will be in this conference room at 10 o'clock. So, I mean, that's a very, honestly, Daryl, that, that's a very sim simple, what, what I call use case. All right, so it, if people that are in the building control space as an integrator or even a facility person, if they were to invest a little bit of time into basic networking and learning that side, there's a great opportunity for them to move into that center lane like I was talking about. Now, I'm not saying that the IT side can't, but I have found and we've actually had people come to work for us that are security engineers and stuff like that. They have a very difficult, difficult time unlearning what they learn because they're expecting the networks to look a certain way. But these networks don't look that way. They, they put in an unmanaged switch. They put in Best Buy routers. They, you know, it's just whatever worked at the time. All they're concerned about is getting the devices connected and talking because in this, I mean, this is prime. In the IT world, it's CIE, confidentiality, integrity, availability. In our world, it's on its head. Availability is number one. These things have got to talk. We don't care about confidentiality. In fact, it's the last thing, and I even have a slide that I use where the C is out here <laughs> over to the side because it's not even really thought of. So, but that, I mean, I really believe that there's a, a great opportunity and I want to see it grow. I want to see people that know what I know. I want to help people to know what I know because I could use some people right now. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it is growing. And, and the thing is, I'll, 
sorry, I'm running my mouth a little bit, but I will tell you there's an emerging thing in, in my industry. And this is why we need more people. We have a very progressive building owner. He has about 75 buildings. In the commercial real estate world, they buy and sell buildings like you and I buy and sell cars. Okay. Well, we've all heard the hundred point inspection, right? You know, your car, you, you go in, you buy a used car and it's got the hundred point inspection. Well, you'll be more inclined to buy that than you will one that doesn't, right? Well, this guy started this process and we've actually seen other people. We're doing assessments on his buildings. We're ranking them, rating them, and then having policies attached to and everything. And everything is actually stuck to the building. We even have a managed service that watches the, the building for new devices that are being owned. What he is doing is he's made his buildings a higher marketability and he sells them with that package. With them. The other mm -hmm. thing he's doing is taking that and saying to the insurance industry, look what I'm doing. And he's actually getting some headway there. Well, it was funny. It was like, wow, this guy's really being progressive. You can't make this stuff up. A month later, another real REIT, a real estate investment trust, came to us and said, we want to do this thing. And we're sitting there going, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we could we couldn't tell tell them that that's what they were doing. I mean, there was somebody else. And then we have just recently another company has said, hey, we'd like to inspect buildings. And would you guys be able to put this rating on the side of our building yeah. so that when we get ready to sell it, we can say, we've already checked it out. Yeah. Yeah. That that's I think that's exactly uh, that's a, that's someone want to look ahead and say getting involved in that is going to be it's going to be I share your belief that that's uh, that's going to be a pretty important high growth high growth area and you're seeing the so, precursor evidence yeah. of it already starting to boil up and these guys look it's post COVID right I mean not post COVID we we're in COVID right well. These guys took a big hit on the nose when because people started not going to these buildings, but they're looking for any advantage they can get when it comes time to selling the buildings or buying buildings or whatever the case may be. But yeah, the, the cyber building inspector. Yeah, positions and titles that didn't exist before are going to. I mean, that's exactly here, isn't it? That's a great a, a great note. Uh, you know, to end on the that idea of, of new opportunities. Okay, so now we're to my favorite part of the show where we do the Bavo questionnaire. So I have borrowed this from uh, a long running show uh, inside the Actors Studio that's been syndicated all over the world. And the long, long time host, ran it for decades, he unfortunately passed in recent years, was James Lipton. And James Lipton borrowed this questionnaire from a French show, hence the name of the questionnaire, uh, before that. So it's been borrowed before and I'm borrowing. So it's 10 questions that uh, we're always at the end of the show is all these famous actors and actors and actresses have answered these questions. And so now I'm going to, I'm going to put these questions to you, Fred. Okay. All right. So first question, what is your favorite word? Hope. What is your least favorite word? Disgrace. What turns you on either creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Music. What turns you off? Hate. What is your favorite curse word, if you're willing to share? Well, you know, I quick answer is I actually gave them up a long time ago. That is an answer. What sound or noise do you love? Bass. What sound or noise do you hate? Screech. 
what profession other than your own would you like to attend? Musician. What profession would you not like to do? Uh, proctologist. <laughs> what, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well done. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show. Fred Gordy, Director of Cybersecurity from Intelligent Buildings. Thank you so much for coming out and sharing your story, your journey with our listeners. My pleasure. Thank you, Dan.